or something you'll notice my podcasting voice is a little more sultry or husky than usual don't worry i'm not sick my my daughter thought it would be fun like a funny prank to prank my wife and scream as loud as we could so this is the price that i'm paying for it now anyway we soldier on the the florida primaries were on tuesday uh, as you know if you listen to the show and we had some good news some bad news and some surprises here to walk us through all of it is juan cuba a political strategist, organizer, former chair of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. Juan, welcome to Bird Road. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're a veteran of a lot of campaigns. Actually, you know what? The first thing I wanted to show you is this. You're a veteran of a lot of the campaigns, local, regional, beyond. This is something that always infuriates me, and I want to get your your thought on this. This right here, it's a 5 by 10 glossy that I got from Alex Pinellas, who, we did not, who I did not support, but I got it the day after the election. Why does this, like, why does that happen? I'll never understand. I look at this and I see what has to be like a waste of $10,000. I mean, I know yeah. how much these these campaigns what's cost. The, what's the postage? Does it say first class postage or does it say? Uh... Let me see. Uh, pre-sorted standard U.S. postage paid. See, they skimmed on the price. Skimmed on the pricing. Uh, if you're sending out a piece of mail towards the end of an election, you got to do first class if you want it to drop yeah. on time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and also with all the delays in the postal service. Right. The, I figured that might have something to do with it too. I mean, you know, it's the, it, everything's taking a little bit longer and we know that that's not by accident. That's more by, by design these days. So the first, before we jump into that race, before we talk about the, the Dade, the Dade County mayor race, I wanted to get your thoughts on a smaller school board race that I had seen you posting about. And this one is about, I, I really agreed with you because you had said that one of the candidates who, um, uh, is going to be headed to a runoff is somebody that probably should be kept away from power because it's one of those people that they want to be near power a bit too much. And yeah. this is the school board race, the Miami-Dade school board race, uh, featuring a familiar name, Dennis Moss, for anybody who's from Miami. We've heard that name a lot before. Going against somebody who's lesser known, Luisa Santos. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about Luisa Santos, who forced a runoff with uh, the more well-known Moss. Yeah. First, you know, a little background on that race. Um, you know, school board members are not um, term limited. And so it's very rare that you get an open seat uh, at the school board level. Uh, the incumbent decided it was time to retire, opened up the seat. Several candidates jumped in, including Luisa Santos and a, and a few others. And Dennis Moss, the county commissioner, he filed for that seat like the week before the qualifying deadline. Now, if you don't know Dennis Moss, he has been elected for almost 30 years oh to that county commission seat. Um, everything that's gone wrong with the county, he's lived it and he probably pushed it forward. Like right. the Marlin Stadium Marlin deal, Stadium, yeah. voted for it. You know, the, the half penny and its subsequent misuse of that half penny, he was there for that. Like, this is someone that... Um, was pushing for uh, incorporation of part of his district uh, and nothing wrong, wrong with incorporation. Like I actually think that we should be fully incorporated, but he was doing it so that he could run for, I mean, it was rumored, he right. didn't say it publicly, but that he would run for mayor of whatever incorporation would happen. Um, so when you have someone that is so 
thirsty for power to remain in power. Like he's only leaving his county commission seat because he has to. Right. Because, because of, there was a recent implementation of term limits right. out for the for the commissioners. Yeah. Right. So he's like, okay, what do I do now? He could just retire. <laughs> Let someone else, you know, take on the responsibility of elected office. Um, and in his time, he hasn't really shown the type of leadership that I think Miami-Dade really needs. And so he jumps in at the end. Of course, he has a lot of institutional money because he's been a county commissioner. He remains a county. I mean, he's still voting on county commission stuff. He still votes on the budget. So he right. can leverage his influence at the county commission to raise money. And no doubt he, he has because he outraised everyone, I think, outraised everyone. And I can just double check that. But I'm pretty sure he outraised everyone. It would not be surprising. He's like was, by and large, the only name that even I really recognized on that that list. He he basically tied Justin Corrin, who was another candidate that didn't make the runoff. Uh, He he got hundred. He raised one hundred thirty six thousand, but he had much shorter time period to do that. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so yeah, uh, Luisa is actually a great candidate. I've known Lisa for uh, several years. She, uh, I first met her because she is the owner of Lulu's ice cream mm-hmm. over on Biscayne Bay. If you've ever been there, it's like nitrogen ice cream, delicious. Sure. Um, and she was like one of the more responsible small business owners that you know, was very engaged in the community, uh, volunteered her time. Uh, I got to turn over that way. And her story is incredible. I mean, she, you know, immigrant from Colombia, came here as a young girl, didn't know she was undocumented until she was, uh, I think, applying for colleges. Oh, wow, really? Uh, yeah, finds out, uh, you know, her, her dreams are somewhat dashed. She was like a great student, wanted to go to the best schools, ends up going to Miami Dade College um, and, um, and became a dreamer. And, and through, that, through that executive order, uh, ended up going to Georgetown, came back home and opened a small business. Um, and this is someone who really believes that education is a great equalizer, someone who's young, um, who's doing this for all the right reasons. Um, and she, you know, came in second, uh, in a close second too. Um, and she was outraised, uh, out of, I think it was six candidates. She, four candidates outraised her and she, and she won because she's, her message uh, is connecting in the community. So it's going to be an interesting race. Uh, I really hope that uh, Lisa can pull it off and I hope people uh, go to her website uh, and check her out. Just look up Luisa Santos for school board. Yeah. And that's funny because we, we, we talk about that all the time. Um, the kind of candidates that we want running, right? The fresh blood and people who can affect some kind of a change or at least break a little bit of the old guard and maybe on paper, It'll be, oh, well, these are two first-time people running for the first, but it's the antithesis of that, really. It's somebody who has, like you said, been around, has been part of the machinery for a really long time, has had a hand in a lot of the failures, and somebody who is bringing a, a fresh slate. And it seems like we're at a, at a moment now where, like, Miami might be, because Miami's famously, you know, uh, has famous fealty to just the same names that they know over and over again. It, it seems like we're at a moment where, maybe there's an opening for somebody like her and candidates like her who are lesser known and might be able to change the paradigm a little bit. Do you think that that's the case based on what you saw Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, The term limits of the county commission are certainly helping that. 
be the case. Um, but it's it's great to see candidates like Luisa step up. Um, you had a bunch of other candidates step up as well. Some of them didn't make it, some of them did. And um, that's what we need. We got to stop with the uh, same names, the same people just running county politics. Yeah. Um, so I'm really glad she stepped up and I hope that people are listening and they've ever thought of running for office like they they should. Like talk to some, talk to folks, talk to friends, talk to other people that are politi- politically active. It's not that hard, right. um, but it does take a lot of work and it does take, you know, you gotta have thick skin. <laughs> especially here, especially in Miami. Um, Moving on to the bigger race, the biggest race that was on most people in Miami's ballots, it was for the the, the Miami-Dade County governor, I'm sorry, Miami-Dade County mayor, and we've talked about this race a little bit in the past, and just if, if you uh, haven't heard the news already, um, the, uh, the the race is going to be headed to a runoff between Diana Levine Cava and Esteban Steve Bovo, who is um, pretty, uh, I, I guess he's a, I guess you could say as much as you can be in Miami, he's Trump-aligned conservative Republican, even though, again, this is technically not a, a nonpartisan or uh, not a partisan race. I, I, first, I want to get your thoughts on the rejection of, you know, to our earlier point, rejection of familiar names like uh, uh, Pinellas and Suarez that a lot of people in the county already knew from previous mayorships and didn't come anywhere near really close enough to, uh, to, to, to make it into the runoff. And then I want to kind of look forward and, and, and get your thoughts on whether that nonpartisan race, technically nonpartisan race, is going to break down along partisan lines, if you think. So um, speaking of those two, Pinellas and Suarez, who were the two other high-profile names in this race, uh, were you surprised at all with that result? Um, I wasn't. No, I wasn't that surprised. I'm, I mean, let's uh, – I want to be clear. Like, I would vote for any of those candidates before I voted for Steve Bobo. Right. I, I think he is – the worst of the batch that ran from a values perspective, from a governing perspective. Um, now, as far as your question, like, I do think that there is um, exhaustion from the same people that you've seen over and over running for office. I do think that's a factor. I, I saw it in the Eileen Higgins race that I, I helped a lot in uh, the special election that she won a couple years ago. Right. People were tired of the Diaz of the Portillas and the Barreros. Um, and you're starting to see that, right? That exhaustion, like, like enough. Um, I mean, I don't like Xavier Suarez. I think that he is someone on the commission who isn't doing it for, you know, just, a power grab, like right. has or personal gain. Sure, or he has like quirky ideas sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of his, some of his, some of his uh, advice in the early days of COVID that he shared on Twitter was was a little tough, tough to uh, tough to read. And uh, I've, I, you know, he's my commissioner technically right now until we, <laughs> until I have a new one. And I would tell, would I would reply to him. I would say, Commission, come on, can't be sharing this kind of stuff. We've already we're already working at a disadvantage in terms of like how how bad. The information is getting around, but no, you're right. All in all, if if I hadn't voted, I think I think I'm kind of in the boat where if I hadn't voted for Daniel Levinkava, I probably would have voted for for Suarez, honestly. Yeah, and as far as Pinellas, like I I had a lot of hope 
for Pinellas when he first announced. Um, I actually got to work with him a little bit. Um, I was helping uh, the Gillum race. I was their Hispanic outreach director. And Pinellas was very helpful in that effort. And I would speak to him, um, you know, several times a week about what we need to do in Miami, um, in the Hispanic community and that part of Miami-Dade County. I figure that all his time away from politics and all the name recognition that he still has, because yeah. he had been polling, they, uh, the Democratic Party had tried to recruit him to run for state Senate in 2018. There was a very, like, we had done polling for Alex Pinellas to run for that state Senate seat and take on Manny Diaz Jr., which polling suggests he would have won. Um, which is that seat, like, up in Hialeah area, right? That, yeah. Yeah, in Hialeah area. And uh, he didn't do it because he was he had, made, he had made his mind up by then that he was running for mayor. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah. So, anyways, he... Then, you know, the, the disappointing part was that he started taking the same money from the same developers and county contractors. Like, if you just look at the people who donated to his campaign, he started hiring the same people, the same lobbyists. Like, if you put up Brian May, was one of his top people. Brian Goldmeyer, who is was the fundraiser for Jimenez, um, was his top fundraiser so like you started seeing the, the signs that you know you could have been different right but you had the you had the shot and and then you started seeing all the mail pieces attacking daniela yeah. some of them were super absurd like daniela is someone who dedicated her entire life to helping uh the poor and vulnerable and, and the working families in miami through Human Services Coalition, and then uh, what then became Catalyst Miami, uh, and she's got a really great record on those issues on the county commission. And the flyers were like, Daniela doesn't like, doesn't care about affordable housing, and she right. hates poor people, and like all this ridiculous stuff. And it just like it was, it was just too much for me. I was like, now help, help me try to understand because I read, and uh, you know, keep me honest here if I'm wrong, but I read a deeper dive into how a lot of that financing for the attacks on on her came about and it seemed pretty murky and a lot of the organizations that were financing it seemed like they were not only aligned with Pinellas but also broadly with the GOP and like specifically with Bovo is that the case or I I, I didn't really based on the paper trail and the, the I think it was a Herald story that I read uh I didn't really follow that did you see or hear anything about that I wasn't following that closely because honestly, like they make it hard to follow <laughs> yeah. on purpose. <laughs> it's intentionally, yeah. <laughs> I, I did see some reporting on it. Uh, what's funny is that uh, Carlos Condarco, who I know, was one of the attorneys that was um, in charge of two of the PACs. And I think the Herald article that I re read was that one of the PACs was, that he was in charge of was attacking Pinellas, and the other PAC that he was also in charge of was. <laughs> Defending Pinellas. Now, hey, there's only so much talent in town, man. You got to like go with. Well, what happens a lot, of, a lot of times is that, um, you know, you'll set up a, political consultants. will set up packs. They'll put some people will, like lend their name or like, you know, 
to 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 a pack to protect wherever this is coming from and and then you move money from pack to pack mm-hmm. try to hide the origin of that of that money now that's doesn't have to be that way it's, there's no citizen united protection over packs giving to packs and actually the state legislature uh tried to change that this session like it's not, it's a very easy fix it's just Political committees shouldn't be able to give to other political committees. Yeah, as easy as that on paper. Yeah, easy as that, and you stop this whole like washing of money. Um, I mean, you could still give unlimited amounts of money to political committees, which is a loophole big enough, but you should stop at least stop the trend like the lack of transparency in this in this giving. Um, I didn't follow like. It seems though. It kind of seems like. On in terms of national or statewide races, there's more scrutiny in that, and it's probably and again, tell me if I'm wrong here, but on these local races, it seems like there would be like way more of a free fire zone. I mean, how how many of those articles is the Herald going to write? And even if they do, how many people are going to read them? You know, it's like it seems it seems like the structure of this like patchwork of of government governmental positions that people run for every two years. It lends itself more to that kind of that kind of thing. Am I wrong in that kind of like assessment or no? Yeah, I mean, I think you you see these packs all over the place in every level of government. I, I think that um, it goes over the heads of a lot of voters. Like they just they want to know what you're doing for them. Right. They don't care that that kind of processy stuff that you know political operatives care about and like you know activists like to read about right. and. People, voters want to know, like, what are you doing for them in housing? What do you want to, you know, how are you going to get, create more jobs? And that, that stuff just turns them off. Um, so that's probably why you don't see that much traction with them. And look, I'm, I'm a campaign finance is like my pet peeve. One of the things that when the count, when we tried to change the county laws five, six years ago, like I was right there with them, like trying to make public financing at the county level. Um, which ultimately the county commission and Steve Bovo voted to deny us the ballot. But yeah, that stuff is just not the top five concerns of a voter. That's a good transition though, because I want to ask you now about this, this runoff that we're facing. Uh, Levine Cava, Bovo. Um, it's a tough time, I think, to be a Republican in Miami-Dade County right now. Uh, I don't know how much though the smears, the, uh, you know, all the everything that's being aimed at Daniela, how much that gets through. Um, what are those issues? Like, what are people voting on? And I mean, how, what, what do you think is going to be sort of like the defining narrative of the next three months that that uh, says who ends up? You know, and I'll I'll caveat this by saying that like, if somebody like uh, Carlos Corbello had jumped in, right, and a, a Republican who's pretty well known, had jumped in. I don't think that this would have been a, personally, I don't think this would have been a, a runoff between Kava and Bovo. I think it would have been a runoff between her and one of the other, you know, other names that we mentioned already. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, I, I think that he, Bovo, picked up pretty much every conservative vote that he could pick up, and that was enough to get him into a runoff. But I don't know, is that analysis flawed? And, and how's it going to break down? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that was Bobo's strategy, right? He, 
the Kava team didn't have to define Bovo as the Republican. No, Bovo defined himself as the Republican in this right. race. Right, willingly, he very, very willingly, yeah. Went to, that was his strategy. That's That was his path to the runoff. And, and it was very intentional, and it worked uh, for the runoff. Uh, you know, he stood on the tarmac to, you know, embrace the president. He put that on his campaign flyers. Um, and he touted, you know, that he is the conservative candidate in this race. He took this uh, failed photo op with Marco Rubio. I don't know if you saw it. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was posted on Twitter. Marco Rubio making phone calls, quote unquote, but his headset was unplugged and he was obviously was not making any phone calls. The most Rubio move. Just such a great yeah. Rubio move. So he's that was he's going to have to pivot somehow because you're right. In if if he's defining this race as he's a Republican, there's just Miami County has not gone Republican as a county in a very long time. Uh, Hillary Clinton won Miami County by thirty percentage points in 2016. You're going into a presidential year where there's a lot of you know, it's going to be a close race. Don't get me wrong. Like state of Florida will be also be within like the margins again. Uh, but Miami County will not be and Miami County is going to go heavily blue. Right. And Bobo is kind of painting him, himself red in the corner as the, as the elephant in the room. If you'll say, if you'll so, allow me the pun. Um, so how has this changed though? Because I, I, I go back to this idea of, people just being a little more cognizant of partisanship these days than they were the last time Carlos Jimenez was elected, right? Because Carlos Jimenez, I think it came to surprise to a lot of people that probably weren't even really paying attention, but he's a Republican. He is, and, and he his politics are conservative. Prior to him, we had uh, Alvarez, who was, a, who was a, uh, a Republican as well. But it seemed like those kind of, that, the, the left and the right, uh, you know, positioning wasn't out there in the front on these races. Like they used to really be nonpartisan as opposed to now. So something changed, right? I mean, like, is it just the national tenor or is it something happening locally here that makes it, I agree with you, less likely that you're going to see like countywide, uh, a conservative winning countywide uh, elections anytime soon. It, it just feels like something changed. Yeah. Let me take a step back first. Like, even though you run a nonpartisan race, like when you're governing, you don't govern. They're not governing in a nonpartisan fashion. Like Steve Bovo was a Republican elected state representative before he was a county commissioner. He served with, you know, Rubio and Rivera and others uh, in Tallahassee, do, passing the, the most partisan legislation that you can imagine before he ever ran for county commission. These, there's no like, we got to stop this myth of like, oh, it's a nonpartisan race. So, right. Yeah. For you know, sure. You're all of a sudden nonpartisan. <laughs> That's just not the case. Um, you have, I believe he was in the House of Representatives during um, 2010, 2011, which like they passed some of them. If you remember, like that was a Tea Party year and they yeah. passed some of the most like anti-democratic, like policies that like limited early voting and did a bunch of other yeah that was the early years of rick scott and uh yeah. and, and marco rubio yeah. the other hand, those were the years that that Bobo was up there um i think that if you're running for elected office like which party you're aligning yourself with like that decision maybe not when you're in high school and you like signed up as a democrat or republican because your parents were democrats or republicans but like once you like 
enter political life and like become active in the community and decide to put your name on a ballot it tells me a lot as a voter like yeah. oh you're registered as a republican you're running for political office you decided to your views align more with the republican party's views so and right now if you're still a republican i question like you know dear god what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good point i mean i i was talking again with um with hopefully our future mayor last week or this week and I said that this has become it's it's a shorthand and it's an easy way for somebody to know generally what your political project is and for me and I know for a lot of voters like me in Miami like I can't imagine voting for a Republican for dog catcher at this point I mean unless the party took a dramatic shift of what it of what it is it's it's just I think in in a place like Miami it's not feasible I mean there's still going to be loud voices outside tropical park and you know in in uh in miami lakes and stuff like that and they're the loudest voices and they're the ones that have apparently the most like budget for swag because they sh deck their cars out but um other other than that i can't imagine it really being a a winning strategy for a countywide race like this yeah i guess a few other things here is that um you know it does say a lot about what how you govern in the county like the issues might not be the same at the state level and you might deal with a lot more zoning issues for example at the county level but when you see some of the big issues play out in the county like when trump made his executive order uh, anti-immigrant executive order to force municipalities to comply with ice detainers right it was the republicans that lined up uh behind um behind donald trump's executive order in Jimenez. right it was Steve Bogle that was shutting down the microphone of activists, throwing of them out. you, of, in uh, one case. <laughs> myself, or even saying the words undocumented or immigrant. Right. Um, and you saw it play out with the ICE detainers. You saw it play out with Daniela actually was sponsoring the paid sick days legislation for county contractors, which during a global pandemic should not be a hard piece of legislation to pass and yeah. he calls it out as you know a slippery slope toward communism right um and you know he voted against uh the independent uh review commission that like these are things that you approach county government with a certain mindset and these are the policies that you're going to get and now county mayor currently and for the next two years He's going to be the sheriff if, if he gets elected. And I hope he doesn't, right? But the, whoever gets elected is also the sheriff, mm -hmm. is also in charge of the supervisor elections office, and in charge of so many other departments in Miami County. Like, you don't want Bobo to be anywhere near the elections department or uh, or the sheriff's department, really. No. On the on the topic of justice, uh, one of the disappointing results that happened on on Tuesday was um, another friend of the show, Melba Pearson. Uh, lost and didn't really come that close in her uh, bid against Catherine Fernandez Rundle. Um, you were at one point the chairman of the um, Miami-Dade Party, of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. And that party, I've, just in a few months prior to this election, to this primary election, had withdrawn their support from Fernandez Rundle, who I think people forget replaced Janet Reno. Like, that's how long she's been in this position. Um, I'm wondering if, what insight you have 
I mean, there's obviously been a lot of well-publicized, um, you know, corruption and or at least the whiffs of corruption and and, and the reticence to try to um, prosecute uh, rogue cops and and other you know people that uh, that are maybe part of the establishment that that she tends to not go after. Uh, there's been all types of stories as far as that goes. I'm wondering what insight you have about the withdrawal of so much support, not just from the that, the county party, but seemed like she lost so much party, uh, so much support um, that she had once always counted on for 20 some odd years. And then also it feels sometimes like living in two different counties because I see that result and I, I don't know anybody, as far as I know, that voted for her. And to see that result was was one of the more shocking, um, you know, taking off my rose-colored glasses and having supported uh, Melba Pearson, who was a great candidate, uh, trying to look at it objectively. I don't know anybody that voted for her. And I'm just trying to make sense of that in my head. What's what's your take on that? Yeah, that was a very heartbreaking race uh, for me, too. Um, you know, when I was chair of the Democratic Party, uh, we called for Arundel's resignation for refusing to uh, place charges on the people who murdered Darren Rainey, who was an inmate uh, that was boiled to death um, as punishment. And, you know, we had her come to one of the party meetings and she stood up there trying to make excuses about all the reasons why she couldn't place charges. And, yeah. And we, our membership wasn't having any of it. Um, and it was really to the credit of a lot of activists and members there that um, really wanted a change. Um, and, and the new chair, um, like you mentioned, right before, the, like maybe a month and a half ago, reiterated that call for her to suspend her campaign and stop uh, representing the party. Um, that was a tough race. Uh, what I'll say is Rundle outraised Melba three to one. Yeah. She had more money. It's expensive to run countywide. It is expensive to run countywide because you have to communicate your message uh, to so many voters all over the county. Mail is expensive. Digital is expensive. TV and radio is even more expensive. I really believe if you know of Rundle's record of refusing to go after cops and refusing to go after corrupt politicians like David Rivera, um, then there's no reason why you would have voted for her. Right. None. Like if you if you know that she's re like she's never charged a cop for murder in the Darren Rainey case, in the case over in the Redlands, and in the case on Miami Beach with um, Harris, they shot over like a hundred bullets. Right. And and refused to go over go after people like David Rivera after like blatant corruption, like the, the, the people at the state level were begging her to go after them. Like she didn't do anything about Jesse Menacall, who was yeah. the highly a cop that assaulted young girls. Doesn't still to this day, hasn't done anything about Joe Carollo. Who's like just a rogue, a rogue disaster to terrorizing rogue businesses throughout the, staff the city. Members have whistleblown on him. Um, and so when you think about like the corruption in the county, like a lot of that goes back to like who's in charge of policing that corruption. And that's Kathy yeah. Fernandez Rundle. Uh, and Melba is a great candidate. One of the best candidates I've seen campaign so hard. She raised a quarter million dollars. 
she um, there was a lot of hope that that she could win. And there are a couple of mistakes, I think, um, not on her, but uh, whoever was running her campaign or the consultants. Like, first of all, you have you have to close that primary. This is a party primary election. Mm-hmm. Right. All you had to do was find someone who could be a rising candidate. They do this all the time. Um, it didn't happen. And so now the electorate makeup changed, right? Instead of Democrats choosing their nominee for state attorney, everyone in the county was choosing their nominee for state attorney. Um, yeah, so strategically, makeup, strategically, if, if they were able to find a, 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 a challenger on the other on the other side, that would have effectively created doesn't close. Just yeah. doesn't even have to be on the ballot. Just a writing candidate closes mm-hmm. the primary. So that's one. Two, I think a lot of the activist groups waited too late to get involved in that race. Yeah. Um, you have a bunch of groups that were playing in other races. They were like working on the Joe Kimmock race in Broward. He ultimately lost. They were working on a, a race in um, Orange County, which they won. But there was this race in Miami-Dade, and we had a real shot. And I think they they waited too long to get involved. Um, I think if Melba had another month, she could have pulled it off. Because her campaign really caught fire there in the last few weeks. Yeah. And um, that, and like, you had institutional players that just don't get it. You had like the Miami Herald editorial board oh, who put so out a bullshit endorsement of Kathy Fernandez. It was, it was so embarrassing. I feel embarrassed. To like read that paper and right on the right on the heels it. of them supporting again living kava I've, i had like this good feeling like okay well that's a good pick i'm glad that they you know and it came i don't know maybe a week and a half later this they have a long-standing records of being cowards yeah. when it's when it comes to standing up to incumbents even those that they know are not the best choice for the community right i'll give you an example it's not just rundle which the reporters have reported extensively on her failures. 2018, they endorsed Manny Diaz Jr., who the reporters up to that point had had, had done like a five-part series expose of the m- massive conflicts of interest that Manny Diaz Jr. has because he gets paid by the charter school industry. Right, and, and up he's north, he's completely connected with that entire insane experiment that they're running yeah, up in the he county was the chair of the education committee yeah. defunding public schools and giving basically shoveling more money to private charter school uh companies and so and the list goes on there's like several other examples of just the herald editorial board being complete cowards yeah i think there was something really specific at play there when you're talking about that position i mean generally they should abolish that board because I, I, I kind of think that about about newspapers again. And I worked at the Herald for six years, but they should get rid of that the editorial board. Generally, at most, at most newspapers, pretty much all newspapers. Um, but I will say specifically in that case, you got a form. We got uh, the assistant in that editorial board is somebody who was a cops reporter for a really really long time, and whose career dovetailed a lot with Fernandez Rundle's office. So I sort of wasn't surprised, but at the same time, I was really surprised. And yeah. and it's, it's it's terrible because just like with the Diaz Jr. Uh, race that you bring up, it all goes back to connections and sort of familiarity and these same people that we've known for a really long time. 
Yeah, and then the worst, the worst part about it is they got their their facts wrong in that in that. Yeah, they budget. blew the the basic facts about uh the the record of Florida. I think what was it that they said that no Florida prosecutor had ever brought charges Char- against yeah any any cop or something Murder. like that. Yeah, and I mean, and that isn't just like a side fact. That was one of the central critiques of this entire race that they just I don't know took <laughs> Rundle's word for it or like. <laughs> Just decided that was no one else had done this. So Rundle, like they set the bar so low. Oh, just because no other prosecutor has taken on a cop, then we give a pass to Kathy Fernandez Rundle. Which is crazy. It's just like uh, <laughs> I'm trying Which to think. True. <laughs> Even if it was true, th- doesn't that impugn generally the state and the system of the state's attorneys, the various state attorneys, as opposed to the candidate that you're not going to endorse? It's. I mean. Uh, the the logic doesn't doesn't hold up it's uh, yeah that was a really infuriating mistake and then it also took uh you know there's only so many media cycles where people are paying attention and it was i think by the third day that they actually corrected it or amended it it took a really long time to fix that um and thousands of people that went to vote might have many of them might have seen that endorsement absolutely and never seen the the correction um so that was a pretty disappointing result i wanted to talk to you about a name that you brought up a moment ago which was uh david rivera who is a uniquely slimy um republican down here in in miami who won his primary and it's it's you know winning a primary is not a not a big deal but won it following some charges and and uh journalism that's come out about him accepting money from the Venezuelan government as a as a contractor, and I'm a little murky on all the details of this, but I, I'm not murky on this. You you've been a Democrat down here for a long time, and I'm sure that you've been called communist, socialist a million times. And you know, my personal politics aside, the fact that the fact that that is the cudgel that swung against anybody who has a D next to their name in this county, but. Uh, uh, you have a former U.S. congressman actually doing business with this with this uh, regime in Venezuela, and it's not enough for them to lose their um, to lose their primary race. I just I hypocr- I think we're post hypocrisy in this world right now, so I try not to even like hang up a f- uh, hang it on on a uh-huh. hanger anymore. It's it's ridiculous to try to even say, oh yeah, well technically you voted for David Rivera, but you got to comment on this. This is just too. Uh, it, it's too perfect not to talk about. It's it's bullshit. You know, it's always been about power for the Republicans. It, you know, it's it's yeah. I'm sure there's some hardliner activists and, and voters who who uh, really believe. But for David Rivera and people like that, it's all been always been about power and as a way to to really take advantage of people's pain uh, to win. Um, Rivera, I mean, unforgivable, right? Like yeah. you're taking money from the, the from Maduro, and then and then he's he's like someone who just doesn't go away. No, you hope he, you know, he would go away. Like a couple of criminal charges. Didn't he's stop always got a new scam everything. going. Like either he's in the process of doing it, or it's in the process of being exposed. He's not like a fringe person in the Republican Party of Miami-Dade County. He's a central figure. He's someone who was roommates with Marco Rubio up in Tallahassee when Rubio was speaker. Yeah. He's close friends he, with 
Steve Bogle. Like they served together. They they still hang out together. Didn't they share? They shared like a. There was some kind of controversy where they shared a house, and the house. There was some crazy. Rubio Rivera had a house together. Had a house together, right? Yeah. Like these are people that are, are super close, still hang out. Like there's a picture, I think, of, of Bovo and Rivera at a wedding or something not too long ago. Um, and Rivera made contributions to Steve Bovo's campaign. Mm. <laughs> so, um, and, and Rivera didn't win a primary. He won his election. To oh, he won his election. Out, right. That's right. Yes, you're right. Serve on the, the Republican Party of Miami-Dade's executive committee. So, right. And, and when you talk... <laughs> The Miami-Dade uh, Republican Party hasn't said a peep about David Rivera. I just checked their Twitter before before coming on here, and I'm like, no, not a single word, not a single tweet about uh, you know disowning David Rivera for these for making money off of uh, Venezuela. No, it's always been about gaining power. But I, uh, what I hope is that. Is that voters are tired of it? Yeah, and they're starting to finally see through that. Uh, it's been a tactic for so long, so many years that you just get exhausted. And I think it's also generational. You know, where the older uh, Cuban American community uh, were just—it was more of a trigger word and more agitated about it. Where younger Cubans are just like, enough already. Like I, you know, they don't believe these politicians when they make those attacks. Attacks anymore. Right. Well, I, I continue to be confounded by it because, um, it's everybody on the show knows I was, you know, a hard supporter of the, uh, primary campaign of Bernie Sanders and, uh, it, the, the attacks that were down here in the, the attacks that were national, that, uh, the way that they were received down here were very effective. I think, I mean, people, it really, if they weren't already thinking in a negative light about Sanders, they were after that. A lot of a lot more people. I felt like the tone changed, and there was no way that Bernie was ever going to win Miami or Florida. But still, it was it was effective. But to your point, I feel like in other spots, maybe it's depending on who it is that's lodging the 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 socialism attack or who it is that's lobbying the uh, communism attack. I feel like it has been defanged a little bit. Like, if it's if if it's the the example that jumps to my mind was a I think it was in Westchester a couple of weeks ago a um, a truck being driven around with a bunch of faces of of political you know operatives and and uh, elected officials down here labeling all of them co- uh, communist in in Spanish and one of the faces up there was Carlos Jimenez being labeled as and it's like does it even do words even mean anything anymore i mean what it, it seems like how could you give any kind of fidelity to those kind of attacks it, 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 i can see your point that they're probably losing their effectiveness in some way yeah i saw that i remember i i, I think i saw that on twitter yeah it's, like, it's, absurd. <laughs> it's absurd um adjacent to that topic though because this is the person i want to talk about the person who i think that truck owner was supporting which was uh, a uh, a candidate named Omar Blanco who was running against Jimenez um and I know you're a democrat so maybe you don't follow these the other side of the the, the other side of what's going on as much uh, or as closely but um the idea of Miami-Dade sort of rejecting trumpism 
right? And saying like, okay, we're still a place where there are conservative, there's like a significant conservative faction down here. We're still going to, you know, have the same names and faces in front of Versailles. And, uh, but Trumpism is almost a bridge too far. And I say that because Omar Blanco lost handily in his primary to uh, to um, Jimenez, who is now going to in congressional district number 26, he's going to take on the incumbent there, uh, Debbie McCarcel Powell, uh, who's a, a Democrat. And over in district 27, Donna Shalala's district, uh, there were two very pro-Trump comers that lost pretty easily, Wanfield and Raymond Molina, that were trying to get their nomination. And the, so it seems like it's a bit of a poison pill for you to, to, as a conservative, align yourself with Trump in Miami. And I don't know if that's if that's really broken through. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, both of these elections are Republican primaries. Yeah. And so I don't know if that's the case, really, because on the on the Jimenez, I mean, Jimenez was endorsed by Trump. Like he he waited to announce with a Trump endorsement. So, and I'm sure he tapped. I mean, I wasn't following the Republican primary that closely. I don't live in that district, so I wasn't getting their mail. Yeah. But I would assume that he was touting that endorsement pretty heavily and was covered by the media and everything. So was, I, I would think it would pretty, be pretty well known. Um, but like, for, I mean, on Jimenez, this is one of the topics, like he's a huge hip, like one of the biggest hypocrites, like he doesn't care. He has no ideology. No, he's just, he, again, someone that wants power. He will he literally do anything for power. Yeah. If it means voting for Hillary Clinton in 2016, he'll do that, you know? Right. In 2016, he said he, he would consider voting for Hillary. He was, flirting with the idea of changing parties right because he was up for election he knew that the uh the electorate was just more democratic and now he's completely changed his tone and kissing trump's ass basically um uh it's just it's it's just about power for these people with with so I don't know how Omar ran the race. I don't know if he went really hard. Uh, he, he went pretty hard right. He took a yeah. hard right turn. I was I was yeah. out was of morbid curiosity. I was following his his uh, his his campaign. So this surprises me because he I, I I knew him from before he ran. He was the former president of the firefighters union, and so um, I would meet with him every once in a while. We actually had our Democratic Party meetings in the firefighters union hall. It's just was like this is really big union hall in, in Doral, um, and we had it there for a long time. But he never came across to me as like a, a, what I would consider like a, a, a super Trumper. Right? Yeah. Again, I think he do he did it for if again I wasn't following the race, but if he did it, it's to try to win. Yeah. And I don't I hate that about some people that they decide to run for office. And they change who they are to try right. to get elected, and that is just yeah, it's a grift, uh, really. It's, it's opportunistic. It's like, why, and... why, 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 if you're gonna hate yourself when you wake up in the morning, you gotta pretend so, to be someone you're not. Why run? Why even run? Just don't do it. Um, with Mario Elvira, I think that um, race probably was a little different. Um, I feel like Omar Blanco had much more gravitas and like. That, uh, probably had more money, but Maria Vida just had, you know, she's right. been on television forever. She was a nominee the last cycle, and she has perch, uh, perch uh, in the community. Uh, yeah, Juan Fiol is like 
how much did Juan Fiol raise? Probably like a hundred bucks. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't he's like a candidate that runs all the time. I actually don't I haven't looked up what they raised, but uh, I'm sure that one was a blow up. Yeah, it was. It wasn't close. And that's true. She did she did she was the nominee that went up against uh, Donna Shalila in twenty eighteen. Um and lost it wasn't really that close of a race either. Uh, considering that that district, my district, had been um, under Republican control at least since I've lived here, which is 14, 15 years, so um, probably longer than that even. Uh, before I let you go, yeah, I, I want to know, takeaways, is there anything that you can take away from the results on Tuesday night? Anything that surprises you or gives you an inkling about what could potentially happen and how November could play out? And... Um, you know, even if it's something like mail-in voting or, uh, you know, the the effect of early voting or how that could change. Obviously, coronavirus is going to change the complexion. What is the the hanging Chad thing that we don't know yet that's going to pop up in, in, in November that, uh, you know, we'll end up defining and hopefully not ridiculing our whole state and our city. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll end up being the thing or, you know, what jumps out at you? Yeah, I mean, a, a few interesting things. One, um, turnout is up. I mean, turnout was, I don't know, probably due to the pandemic and people staying at home, you know, paying more attention to like what's going on politically. Maybe it was a run up to November where people are just like, want to just get this thing over with. Uh, but turnout was the highest I've ever seen it for an August election, um, which bodes well, I think. Uh, for Democrats in November, because when turnout is higher, usually um, more voters are voting and and Democrats are winning. Um, the other thing you saw is that Democrats were voting more by mail um, and Republicans weren't. It, it used to be a voting method that was dominated by Republicans. Yeah. In Miami-Dade, in every election, Republicans would just run up the score and vote by mail and then Democrats would just have to hope that they can catch up in early voting in election day. This was the complete opposite. The Democrats ran up the score and vote by mail. I partly do, and I won't say partly, mostly due to the uh, Trump's rhetoric yeah. on the distrust of vote by mail, which is a safe voting method. It's the way I love to vote. My votes always counted. Just make sure to sign the ballot on the back of your envelope. Yeah, and then you can track it. Uh, and you can track it online. Like this is like everyone should be voting by mail if they can. Um, but yeah, you saw numbers drop not just in Miami Dade but all across Florida for Republicans. And if you are watching Trump's Twitter feed closely, um, which I don't, by the way, but someone sent it to me, um, and it's not recommended know, because I mean, unless you yeah, unless you do it for fun, I don't follow <laughs> exactly. Trump's Twitter. But. You know, he went on a, like weeks long rampage about vote by mail and how awful it is and don't trust it. And then a week before the primary, he's like, except for Florida, <laughs> yeah. Florida vote by mail, super safe and secure. And what was happening is you started seeing the returns come from Florida. Right. And I'm sure that someone in DeSantis or Rick Scott or whoever's close that can get to the White House was telling someone in the White House, like, listen, this is going to doom us in November if you if you don't. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's by mail. I mean, strategically, it seems like a like a shot in your own foot. If I mean, the the people in Florida who would listen to Trump were would be his supporters. Like if Donald Trump told me don't vote by mail, 
I don't give a shit about what he has right. to say. So right. I'm going to vote whichever way I want to. Makes me more likely to vote Ben now. Yeah. Um, so that that was that was interesting. Um, but Republicans did turn out on Election Day. They, they dominated Election Day. Um, they did a lot better on early voting just because, again, their voting method's shifting. The Republicans are going to have to shift with that. Uh, they're going to have to do a lot more early voting outreach and stuff like that. But as far as like November, like what could go wrong? I don't know. There's so many things, you know. I think what the uh, Trump is trying to do right now is just um, sow as much chaos as he can. Yeah. Right. Like he's stopping the he's he's messing with the Postal Service to try to delay, you know, how it delivers mail. There's going to be a ton of lawsuits like you can only imagine how many lawsuits there's going to be. There's a lot of groups already ramping up and getting ready for this. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of voter protection is going to be critical. Uh, and in different parts of Florida, I'm not as worried about Miami-Dade. I actually have a lot of trust in Christina White. I think she's a great supervisor of elections. Um, she listens to people. She She's willing to open up, you know, more early vote locations. My concerns are, A, the Christina White is an employee of the county, and she ultimately has to do what the county commission and the mayor ask right. of her to do. And the mayor is running for uh, Congress. And so huge conflict of interest, you know, something to keep an eye on. Um, but I'm worried about other parts of Florida. I mean, in every other county except for Miami-Dade, those supervisor elections are elected. And yeah. in many Republican counties are Republican. In some counties, uh, anyway, so there's just a lot of things to keep an eye on. But voter protection is going to be key, uh, super important for Democrats this cycle. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the person that was the man who was uh, appointed in Broward County, which is, I think, the third most populous Democrat county, if I'm not mistaken, in, in, uh, in, in Florida is a Republican, like he's a, a, a partisan, like known Republican. Uh, he's replacing Brenda Snipes, who had a long storied and troubled career tenure there. She was appointed by Jeb Bush many, many years ago. So yeah, I think you're right. There's just too many things to know, like what's gonna go wrong. If, uh, if For people who are listening in Miami, um, and always trying to find things to do, Juan, what's a, what's a thing that you would recommend in between now and election day for, for people who want to get involved? I say volunteer. Um, if you can volunteer with, with the county party or the state party or with the, the Joe Biden campaign, you know, go to their website, sign up, uh, offer to make phone calls. Um, if that doesn't do it for you, if you're not excited about that, volunteer for a local race like Danielle Levine Cava's race. They need volunteers, or Luisa Santos. She needs volunteers. Find someone that gives you a lot of hope locally. And there are a few candidates out there that are running. We didn't even talk about the state legislative races, but there are a lot of good people running for state legislative office this cycle. Um, and what people don't realize is like the state legislature governs so much of our lives. Yeah. Um, partly because it's been run by Republicans for the last 30 years. And for the last 30 years, they've preempted everything that the local government can do so most of the changes that you want to see happen is probably preempted and only can happen at the state level so you got to pay attention to the state house races and the state senate races um so i just say you know make some phone calls help out give your time if you have money give some money that helps the state races we didn't get time to really touch on all of them you're right and 
so important because I was reading a statistical vote analysis over the last 20 years of, of the state races. And it's really close partisan wise of being like 52, 48 uh, Republican Democrat over the last 20 years. But you would assume if that was the case, there would be a few years, a few sessions here and there where Democrats would have been in control or at least, you know, uh, more parity, a little bit closer. And it always seems to be about 67 to 33 in the, in, in the, the Senate and in the um, in the State House, it's. I mean, I, I feel like the word gerrymandered is so beaten around. It, it another word that has sort of lost meaning. But um, yeah, those are great places I think to for people to focus their efforts. And it always seems like Democrats are, are underrepresented in Tallahassee. Yeah, Juan, where can people find, follow you and find you? You can find me on Twitter at Juan Cuba J U A N C U B A. Um, I, or, or Facebook. I'm less active than I used to be, but you'll probably see me a little bit more here and there. Yeah, as November draws nearer and nearer. <laughs> Juan, thanks for coming on Bird Road. Yeah, thanks for having me.